welcome to Geeks and Grounds, a monthly game club where we play games and brew conversation together. I hope we're giving off hearts to everyone. Uh, we're at the end of the year. This is the second to last podcast episode for 2023. I cannot believe. Yeah, I know. It's been one a whole whole year of Geeks and Grounds. A full year of Geeks and Grounds. It's kind of incredible. Um, but I'm here as one of your hosts, Jenny Windham, and we've got... I'm Joel Thomas. Joel Thomas. Uh, and we're here to talk about not only the game that we are playing this month, Jusant, but we're going to be talking about what we're also, um, what our games of the year are games of the year are that is such an mm-hmm. awkward statement uh our favorite titles of the year as Love well it. as uh what we've been playing as we do every week uh for folks who are new here welcome and if you are a returning cafe connoisseur uh we hope that you've been enjoying this series so far that's pretty cool yeah incredible honestly and and yeah, I, we've really appreciated like as people have been talking about their games of the year in the chat. So uh, eager to see those continue to roll in as we uh, make our way through December. Yes. Um, and for folks who are new and maybe stumbled into this podcast, but are like, wait, there's a community. People are chatting about stuff. Um, yes, we have a discord uh, and we also have a newsletter. And that's the newsletter is sort of the central hub for information for what we're playing and sort of the things that we're considering as we play. And you can find the newsletter and the discord link all at geeksandgrounds.com. So you can head over there. Uh, so what we like to kick off with is our pastry case every week. It's our grab bag of topics, both from the industry, as well as things that we're generally excited about playing, watching, reading, and listening. Uh, you mentioned games, game of the year as well, Joel. We were talking. Gotti. We got our gotties. Um, that was a question in the newsletter a couple weeks ago, but you were in Japan. And so mm-hmm. we did not have the chance to talk about it. And mm-hmm. I did not want to miss the opportunity to dive into some of your favorites that you've played this year, whether they were, you know, Geeks and Grounds titles or not. So I was wondering if you wanted mm-hmm. to kick off and like give us give us a taste of what some of if you had to create a sampler, maybe like a little Ooh. coffee pack of titles. Um, what what would your top uh, selections like, be my gaudy charcuterie board what would be yes. what would be okay yeah um, on like on it. my charcuterie board for game of the year would it, we would have um where the like the the meats and crackers are probably uh Baldur's Gate 3. I mean as we you guys who've been listening for a bit you know that I've been crushing through this game crushing through in that I'm playing it a lot of time not crushing through in terms of like <laughs> completion of plot. <laughs> Maybe over the holidays break here, I'll I'll actually finish one complete playthrough. But mm-hmm. definitely the the meat and crackers for me uh, are going to be Baldur's Gate three. Um, I was actually thinking about our conversation last week with the Game Awards and like yeah. the indie category and like how do you define that? And I was thinking like I think we should do something around like studio size or something along that uh, along those lines uh-huh. i was also thinking about gameplay time like like oh, the game for me so like maybe the um what's like the fruit jam of the charcuterie board like it's mm-hmm. just a little bit you, you can put it on anything but it's just like it's not a main thing but it's there yeah um I I am really torn actually between uh two uh geeks and grounds games 
I am torn between uh, Venba and Slay the Princess, which yeah. If you if it weren't for you, Jenny, I don't know that I ever would have stumbled across these. If it weren't for Geeks and Grounds, I wouldn't have had like such a rich deep dive conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Um, those two games inspired such fun conversation. And they were a delight to play through from beginning to end. At no point was I like dragging or like, oh, I have to keep like reading through this dialogue or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I just loved both of them like every minute. So I think um, I'm going to I'm going to throw that in as my my fruit jams. Ooh, um, OK, so, yeah, I, I think if those are what's going on. My I, Oh, I need a cheese, don't I? Yeah, uh, you need cheese because you had the meat, you have the fruit. <sighs> I guess, would you like crackers to be another category as well? Mm, yes. Okay. So the cheese, which is like everyone's secret favorite part, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I experienced the most joy in the buildup and first several hours of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Like, it was Ooh. the thing that I was like... I didn't I didn't finish it because Baldur's Gate 3 came out and that <laughs> has been my whole life, but I will go back to it. Um, but I think, yeah, for me, it was just like uh, the anticipation of that game. It was one of the games I've looked forward to more than any other game in a very, very long time. So I yeah. think that for me was a I don't know. That was the cheese. That was um, the cheese. Yes. <laughs> I love that. All right. So give us your shark board. What, what do you got on there? Wait, did you have crackers? Because we had meat, oh. cheese, fruit. And okay, crackers. Crackers, crackers yes. are timeless. Yes. Sometimes you can eat crackers that have been in their packaging for a long time. We all do it. <laughs> um, uh, to, to the moon. Um, Ooh, yes. I, it was my first time playing it. It was an older game. And... Uh, it, you know, the game that kind of kicked off Geeks and Grounds for the year. So it has that mm-hmm. emotional weight behind it. Ah. It ticked a lot of boxes uh, in terms of like understanding, like the the um, uh, be- Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind thing that we talked about in this episode. Like, yes. I, yeah, I think for me, that's that's going to be my crackers. So, Ooh. yeah, that's my my shark board (laughs) oh my gosh that's that's a very very good selection i love that you have a couple of beefier games in there as well as a few lighter ones Mm -hmm, very mm -hmm, good mm -hmm. like what is it diverse palette you have represented (laughs) (laughs) there's no cornichons but uh, i don't really like cornichons so we can yeah we can (laughs) customize the board for the person and you don't have to have it if you don't want it (laughs) Yeah, if you're vegetarian, you don't have to do a meat. You can choose a different thing for your charcuterie exactly. board. Exactly. Extra cheese. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. See, now I'm going to we're going to sign off of this and I'm going to immediately go to the grocery store <laughs> and have some girl dinner and basically just make myself a little charcuterie board. Oh, yes. Uh, incredible. That's so good. All right, um, what's going on your board? Oh, this is tough. Okay. Well, I think if we're thinking so if we're going for the meat, like the mm-hmm. staple, something that I have like that has fueled me throughout the year that I keep returning to. Um, I will have to say Coral Island, which is the oh. sort of farming sim, was an early access earlier this year. I like played the heck out of it earlier mm-hmm. this year, stopped, but then returned to it once it came back in 1.0. And it has been so incredibly fulfilling. I think I've played just for me. 
anything cracking above 40 hours in a game is like hefty for me. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, just because I play a wider variety. <laughs> I tend to like a lot of smaller titles versus one bigger one. And mm-hmm. I think I have close to 70 hours in Coral Island from this year, which is <laughs> wow. pretty substantial for me. Um, yeah. So I think Coral Island definitely will be the foundational sort of meat of the board. Mm-hmm. Um, oh gosh, what what's next? Um, let's go with fruit just to like keep it in the mm-hmm. same order. So my fruit, the stuff that really gave the flavor, the zest, the like extra sort of bits of um, texture in there mm-hmm. i would have mm-hmm. to say oh man this is tough okay golly there's too many good games that came out this year um i would agree venba for sure venba i think is probably if we had to go by the traditional numeric like goatee mm-hmm. one top five venba is probably my number one i think if i had to like oh, wow. really go through it it oh. would have to be be Venba. It just did so many good things. I think the close second and maybe the second fruit of my my board here, I think would have to be I think it would have to be in Stars and Time. Only because I have been talking about that game nonstop yeah. for the better part of two months. I'm yeah. still not done with it, which is kind of wild because I very distinctly remember the PR email I got for it that was like, the, the game should be able to be completed in 10 to 12 hours. And I'm like, no, that's a lie. I'm at like hour 20 and I'm still not done. So either I'm either a very, very bad at the game or... <laughs> Uh, maybe like someone whoever was play testing it was just very 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 yeah, good very at the game. efficient it took me like five hours to get through the demo so yeah i <laughs> right okay thank you i was like this game how could this be 10 hours there's so much and i feel like i've only gotten through the first like major sort of story arc um mm-hmm. and i think you know if they're going by a sort of three act situation mm-hmm. kind of feel like there's there's so much more um but in <laughs> stars and time i think has really snuck in in the 11th hour for me as one of the strongest games of the year um especially in a year that had so many rpgs that were just like rock solid and so good um so yeah cool. Oh, it's so good. I think, again, In Stars and Time is one of those games that I would love to do as a Geeks and Grounds game if I can figure out or maybe maybe we just do a shift and say, hey, for one month we play a game that is a bit longer and it's a little <laughs> bit more loose, but we just the goal is to finish it by the end. I don't know. We'll see. But it's just outstanding. Um, so what was it? Meat, fruit. What was the next thing? The cheese. The thing that you were looking forward to that like really like delivered. What was your cheese? Yeah. Yeah. I think. Oh, this is tough. I think for me, it would have to be. Probably. Sea of Stars. I think cheese. Yeah. Sea of Stars was an outstanding game. For me, it had, uh, and Sea of Stars could actually could be a, the Crackers selection as well okay. because of its okay. timelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for Sea of Stars, I was just really looking forward to the ways that they were going to reimagine one of my favorite genres, one of my favorite types of titles um, and sort of periods of gaming. And like a good like sharp cheddar cheese, I think you bit into it and it was good. And the finish just like, it was just like perfection sort of all the way through for me. Oh. So I think Sea of Stars is my cheese. 
Oh, that's so good. I think Sea of Stars is maybe like my, um, what's the, it's my dark chocolate. It's the thing that I always think I'm going to come back to, but I missed, like I missed it on my first round. So like it, it looks totally up my alley. I'm definitely coming back for that dark chocolate, but I didn't have it on my first round. So I, yeah, it's oh, definitely going up there for me. I love that. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to add it to your your list. I'm I'm updating our show notes as we speak. Um, so Sea of Stars, I'm going to put on your list and that's going to be your chocolate. It's my chocolate. Uh, to be clear, the thing that I have not played. So <laughs> Yes. Oh, I like that though. That's good. Um, and then crackers. Okay crackers timeless you can have them by themselves they don't really ever go bad um i think they're very underrated because they are also like the foundation like for me if you have too much meat and cheese with no crackers Mm -hmm, it's just like mm -hmm. there's nothing the substance isn't complete you know (laughs) yeah and i think for me this is a g&g title cosmic wheel sisterhood is my crackers i think yes I'm gonna I go can't with that. believe I missed Cosmic Wheel. <laughs> That's such a great call out. Because <laughs> that game, I think it, that game could have been in that could have been meat or cheese as well. But it mm-hmm. is such a strong like it has the fantasy, it has the humor and the little fun mechanic with the tarot cards. But then the underlying like foundation of the game is so structurally narratively sound and has so much to dig into. I think it allowed for a really cool framework to also look at every game we played afterwards. And even looking back at some of the games, I started thinking about how it related to what we played with Cosmic Wheel and just how it connects back. Mm. It was just such a good game and it's a good, good matchup with a lot of other titles. And, you know, I'm going to let's add a little seasoning to that. Um, oh, yes. Because as we had our monthly uh, hangout that we do in our Discord with our community, um, we learned about just kind of how different some of the experiences were. Like, obviously, we heard differences mm-hmm. between the two of us and our experience, but as the community started talking about the things that they that they got to see and do in the game, it sounded like, wow, this game has covered so much ground. So I'm going to add to your cracker comment because sometimes uh, you get like the rosemary crackers, sometimes you get the thyme yes, crackers. So yes. like it's you crackers, but it's so many, yes, <laughs> so many different types of crackers within what they're all crackers. That's Cosmic Wheel. I love that. That's it's incredible. so good. Yeah, so that's definitely part of my charcuterie board. And then I guess uh, Dark Chocolate. So that was the thing that I had kind of missed and need to come back to because it's mm-hmm. the thing we overlook. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a great category. Um, <laughs> I think my Dark Chocolate for the year, even though I technically did start it already, I think Baldur's Gate 3 is my dark chocolate. <laughs> There's a lot of overlap with our titles. But I think because Baldur's Gate 3 is one of those where I started it and it became, it was just so much. Again, like a good dark chocolate. There's a lot of notes to it. It's quite mm-hmm. rich. Um, I can only handle it in small doses. <laughs> um, but I really, I appreciate it for what it is. And I think it's outstanding. And I do want more. I just know that I have to take it in small bites. Again, just like a, a piece of good dark chocolate. <laughs> Wow, you even added layers to the metaphor. That's so yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. There, we go. it's almost like we totally planned this ahead of time. 
we did not everyone this we this was totally improvised <laughs> but definitely get in the comments tell us about your your charcuterie board uh games of the year yeah <laughs> We'd love to hear about it. so good i i'm almost tempted in this week's newsletter to ask that <laughs> just because it's such a fresh take on like game of the year um like why would you it's, it's just nice i like this it's a good idea um so, so maybe good. i will have that be the reflection question <laughs> <laughs> just because i'm personally curious and um it's fun to read the answers um this is not directly connected but since yes. you mentioned the Baldur's gate three and like the dark like people who miss it and are maybe coming back mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the last week i have been watching so many spider-man bros play Baldur's Gate for the first time online. Wow, I don't know if you've yeah. been seeing this. And no. it's like all of them are like, I mean, it's, you have to like click and like move around like this. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't really love this. And then it's like the first time they win a battle or like there's a dice roll and they like get a nat 20. They get so excited. And it's just like that dopamine hit is very it's, real. <laughs> yeah, it's honestly, it sneaks up on you. And I think I have to admit, I think playing it on the Steam Deck is probably – I set myself up for mm. a higher learning curve than if I had maybe just gone in on the PC. <laughs> That's definitely true. Yeah. I plug my Steam Deck into my monitor with my keyboard mm. and mouse, mm -hmm. so I'm getting the PC experience through my Steam Deck. Oh, and it's so like smart. I played on my Steam Deck when we were traveling, and it was fine. But it is it's a lot more work and like the resource management is definitely more challenging than when you yeah. just have your keyboard and mouse for sure. I just need to do what you did, get the hookup so I can do my Steam Deck on the TV <laughs> and like have it, yeah, just like have it in bigger screen, be able to hook up my keyboard and mouse to it. Yeah. I just need to to do it. <laughs> um, do you have any so I think this is a solid this may have to become our tradition. Instead of like mm. goatee categories, we're going to have to create the charcuterie board for Geeks and Grounds uh, every year. Um, do you have any honorable mentions that maybe aren't on the charcuterie board, but maybe mm. are like snack, you know, snacks for later, things that you'd still have in the pantry? Well, the fact that you use snacks is ironic because it was a real challenge for me not to say bug snacks. I know. Oh. Um, because I just like that was a joyful gaming experience. Like yeah. I laughed a ton. I was intrigued by the mystery. I love digging into the lore and people in the community. So like <laughs> it was hard for me not to put that on my, um, on my charcuterie board this year. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was definitely a, a top game for me. Really fantastic experience. Yeah. I think my like honorable mention sort of one, the, the snacks left in the pantry, but are ready to get pulled out. You know, <laughs> once we finish the board, um, I think it's Cassette Beasts. It's not one that we've really oh, talked about on yeah. here. Uh, I think it's probably one of the more underrated indie titles of the year. Uh, it came out, I think, kind of in this window where a bunch of other titles were coming out. It also mm -hmm. came out earlier in the year. So mm -hmm. I think recency bias doesn't you know, do it any favors where people are remembering yeah. like games they recently played. Um, but Cassette Beasts made me fall in love with like monster catching Pokemon style games again. Oh. And I think that was, it was so truly special to feel excited about that, like gotta catch them all feeling um, yes. in a world that was really fun because it took elements of like fandoms 
with a retro, like 80s retro twist. And there was a story I found way more compelling than any of the Pokemon that I've ever played. Uh, so it, it just became like a more grown up sort of matured experience. I guess that's a better word. Matured mm-hmm. experience of what Pokemon could could be. And it was just like, I loved loved every second of playing Cassette Beasts. So I think that's my like honorable mention for this year. Oh man, I, I we did not talk about making this like a, a nonstop talk about games that we played this year episode but if i were to make a make my own category that was like yeah. best ending to a game that i played this year Ooh. space for the unbound space for the unbound yes. the ending oh of gosh. that game was one of the best endings of any game i've ever played like yeah satisfying emotionally driving like made you appreciate every minute leading up to it like i i would put that as my like best ending to a game this year I would 100% agree. I think Space for the Unbound for me, and again, that's I made a list, and I think that one ended up in, it's like between two and three, depending on how the ending of In Stars and Time sticks, because I mm, haven't finished that okay. game. Yeah. But um, at the moment, it's number two, because I don't know how the other one ends. And like you said, A Space for the Unbound had the most emotional I think it gave me the same kind of like cry as everything everywhere all at once did oh, back in right. 20 was that 2023 was that this 22. year that 22 year. okay yeah. back in 2022 <laughs> when everything everywhere came out I like that just like impacted me to a level that I've never really felt in movies and I think a space for the unbound for games did that for me mm. um yeah outstanding ending and writing and i'm so excited to see whatever whatever they do next we're gonna we're just gonna know it's a geeks and grounds title we're playing 100 yes just spoiler <laughs> alert um yeah any other shout outs because this is also this is our podcast we can talk for however we long we want about, about games that we love. want yeah fight us about it um no, you know, there were a lot of games that I really wanted to play this year that I didn't get to. Um, I really wanted to. I haven't even played the new Spider-Man yet. I have it. Mm-hmm. I haven't played the new Final Fantasy. I have it like there are some big hitter games that came out this year that like I just didn't even make space for that would have hin- historically been the games that I definitely prioritized. Yeah, I think this year, in part because the games we were doing for Geeks and Grounds were so scratching my gamer itch. Um I think this has been a year of like shifting my own tastes a bit. Like Ooh. it's broken me out of some of the the ruts that I've been in. And I think part a big part of that is because Geeks and Grounds is putting me in a position to learn about and then play and experience games that I would not have otherwise. So mm-hmm. uh, a pat on the back cool. to Jenny Wyndham for oh uh, facilitating the, the game <laughs> selection uh, of Geeks and Grounds. Oh, stop. No, that's super cool to hear. And honestly, I... I feel the same way because I think what's been really exciting is like starting this, the main goal is like, hey, as players of games, let's play more thoughtfully and intentionally and like really try to um, be present as we play. I think Mm -hmm. that's like a big thing Mm -hmm. because I found myself, you know. As much as I joke about how I love Suica game and I do love that, it's like I can play that and not be present and not have any idea mm. where the time goes or like what I've gotten from mm-hmm. it. And sometimes that's fine, but I wanted something different. But I think not simply in the playing, but like the choosing of the games and thinking about why we should put time into something. And like wow. that for me, just as 
sort of curating this has been really impactful too. Um, and I hope that when folks, even when they got a taste of that, when they were doing like the community votes um, and picking next year's games, I'm like, I'm hoping that, you know, even if you didn't get a chance this year, cause you also just joined next year, we're going to do it again. Cause I think it was a really cool experience and hopefully everyone also got a little taste of that. Like, Hey, I want to play this because, and I'm going to advocate for this game because I think we'll be able to get something cool out of it, you know? Hmm. Um, so that's mm -hmm. been really fun for me this year. Yeah. And it'll be interesting with, um, other people's voices informing our playlist for next mm -hmm. year. Um, again kind of giving uh maybe giving you the opportunity to have something a bit more like what i experienced this year where like yeah other people's taste and influence uh just maybe something out of your box i know that you've played way more games than i have so some <laughs> many of the games in the list i know that you have already played um but yeah maybe you'll you'll stumble across some that uh you haven't played and yeah. that will maybe give you an appreciation for some new types of things i'm very excited one that i'm looking forward to because I've started it, but I've never gotten really past the tutorial um, is Hyperlight Drifter. That is one Hyper of the titles. Drifter. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, that is maybe, I think out of all of the titles, one of the games I've been most wanting to play, but also most intimidated by for like no real reason, but just something about it has made me like, ah, I don't know. Um, and so I'm, I'm really looking forward to playing it and like being pushed to, um, but but also having like the community around me as I play, because I think that'll mm. make it feel much more like, I don't know, it'll feel better in a lot of ways, I think, to play uh, yeah. together in that in that sense. Yeah, I totally agree. And like it's uh, playing with purpose. I think you talking about purpose yeah. a moment ago is kind of a really important element of this is like. I'm not just playing this game because I'm looking for a challenge. I'm not just playing this mm -hmm. game because I'm looking for entertainment. These are all great reasons to play games, but because we are setting the intention that we're trying to be thoughtful about what the game is communicating and how it's communicating that thing, um, I just I think it it really has added a new appreciation for me for how I how I uh, enjoy and um, ingest <laughs> games. I suppose. Yeah. Yay. Um, and with that, with the, the playing with purpose, um, I'd love to transition into our last bit of the pastry case and seeing what mm -hmm. are you choosing to consume with, with your own purpose, um, outside of Geeks and Grounds? Y'all, <laughs> y'all, I don't know if you're going to be disappointed in me when I say this. <laughs> because I don't know what the reviews are going to be because this just came out. It dropped this last weekend. The live action Yu Yu Hakushu hit Netflix, and oh. I haven't watched the anime since I was in college. But I'm really liking elements of it—the dark, mm -hmm. uh, dark tourney things like that. Um, I—it's only five episodes, and they consolidate like the oh, intro wow. of the character and like learning about what it means to like live as a spirit detective or whatever with kind of the dark tournament storyline in a five episode miniseries. Wow. And the pacing is a little wild, but man, I haven't binged a show like this in so long. The first episode had me emotional. Like I, I was just like so into it and it's fun. It's not as good as the one piece live action in my okay. opinion, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, it is probably in my it also could be the second best live action anime adaptation I've ever seen <laughs> behind wow. One Piece. So 
I really am enjoying it. It's been a lot of fun for me. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see how other people are enjoying or not enjoying this show over the next few days. I am just, I really liked it. <laughs> Ooh, I saw, I saw, <clears throat> excuse me, the, like the pop-up, like the, the show had come, you know, mm-hmm. released on Netflix. I mm-hmm. haven't watched it yet because I was actually honestly waiting for your reaction. <laughs> you were like, nope, avoid at all costs. Like, don't do it. I would have just been like, nope, I'm okay. Not even uh, pretending it doesn't even exist. But mm-hmm. now that it's gotten the Joel Thomas stamp of approval, I'm very excited to hop in. Um, could you describe for folks who maybe don't know what Yu Yu Hawk yeah. show is, um, what uh, what kind of shenanigans <laughs> ensue? It's, so it's a um, so it's an anime from like the late '90s. I want to say is when it came out. Um, and the story, like in the first episode, you're following this like hard boy teenager. Uh, that might secretly be crusty pudding and have like a heart of gold. <laughs> and in the opening sequence, he uh, he dies. And I won't tell you how because that's part of the emotion behind it, but he dies. And uh, he's kind of offered a deal uh, that if he's willing to be a spirit detective, he can be revived and, and, and be alive again. Uh, so it's basically him learning that our world sits above the demon world and there's a spirit world in between and somehow the demon world is starting to come into the like the physical world that we live in and so it's him trying to like he's a big dummy uh and like (laughs) a a muscle head like quick to anger like that Mm -hmm. kind of anime trope you know but he's just so lovable and the other the side characters that they surround him with are so fucking cool. They're just like, <laughs> like literally the 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 prototype character for like your Levi from Attack on Titan, your mm-hmm. Sasuke from Naruto. That prototype character is from Yu Yu Hakusho. Like that kind of bad boy, like dresses in black character that like is just the coolest that comes from Yu Yu Hakusho. So like for <laughs> me, it is just like one of those shows that really scratches the anime itch in the show. The, the live action adaptation keeps a lot of the spirit alive and it's just fun. It's just fun. <laughs> yeah. I remember reading some of manga when I was in school, I feel like, like checking it out from the library and the library did not have like very many of them. And so Mm -hmm. I remember just getting like piecemeal and trying to piece together and like look online to see Mm -hmm. basically what I was missing. Um, So yeah, I'm very, I'm excited to watch it. And it's kind of amazing that potentially, you know, in this year we've had two of some of the best live action anime sort of retellings ever uh, because really the track record has been bad (laughs) <laughs> really forever <Agreed. laughs> so the, like we've already had you know, what lightning struck once um to yeah. have it potentially be here twice is like very exciting i hope you guys i, I hope other people end up liking it i really enjoyed yeah. it i thought it was well done um i don't know that i need more of it like it feels like this is a really tidy story mm-hmm. um but i just think it was really well executed so I mean, how about you jenny what do you got up to the last week um, other than in stars and time, which I have still been playing, um, and posting the playthrough up on YouTube, if folks do want to watch it, I've been talking about the game so much. I think I forgot to mention, I I'm posting a playthrough on YouTube. If you want to also just see what it's like before picking it up, for example, mm-hmm. um, I have dabbled in two other games, t- uh, this past 
couple of weeks, I guess two weeks. The first is Hermit and Pig, which is this incredibly charming game. I They had a beta um, here. Let me drop the link just in the Discord so you can take a look at it really fast as I talk about it. And I'll put the link in the show notes as well. Um, but Hermit and Pig is by a studio called Heavy Lunch Studio. And this is very much a turn-based adventure RPG in the veins of like an Earthbound um, where it takes like, yeah, it's like quirky and weird and uh, just utterly delightful and charming. Like there's just personality up the wazoo with this game. Um, It's about a hermit and a pig. And in this beta, you just go truffle hunting. um, And of course, sort of a mystery starts to unravel itself as you're exploring the mountainside and delving deep. Uh, There's a sinister corporate plot that's going to be kind of coming out. And it didn't really go too far in in the beta beta that I was a part of. But Mm. um, basically, you get to just explore collect mushrooms um i love that at the beginning of the game they had this like remember kids don't eat mushrooms that you find like be careful uh, at the very beginning um and in addition to having turn-based combat with like insects and critters like you fight ants and flies by swatting them or stomping on them <laughs> um you also have these like dialogue kind of battles like encounters with other humans on the mountain and it's still in development so there's still refinement you know to be had and there's feedback that i know i gave about some of the signaling that they did but in these dialogue battles it's like you're trying to figure out how to have the least awkward conversation (laughs) with people that you meet on the mountainside and they're all kind of awkward too and so it was just you just, I just couldn't help but smile when playing this game. And it was just really it fun. so charming. Oh, it's great. And they don't have a demo out currently, but I'm hoping, and I think it's supposed to be coming in the next year or so. It says coming mm. soon on their Steam page. So I imagine within like 2024, we're going to get it, um, especially because they're doing beta testing right now. Yeah. Um, but just fun, weird, good time. I'm very excited to see just what what else happens with this game <laughs> can i just like because people were sometimes an audio medium here mm-hmm. um the the characters hermit and pig look so freaking adorable hermit looks like this old man with like a like think of like don't let the pigeon drive the bus style artwork if you're yes. familiar with that children's book yeah it's like you have an old man with like white glasses and a yellow beanie and then a a really cute pig with white glasses and a yellow beanie. And it's just like, (laughs) what? This looks so cute. Yeah. I'm very excited. Genuinely maybe a geeks and grounds contender um, at some point, sort of depending on how, how they delve in and um, talking with the devs. They're also wonderful people. And I'm, I'm a big fan of also hyping up the work of wonderful people. So um, yeah, just keep an eye out for that one. Um, The other game that I played, which does have a, demo available if anyone wants to try it it's on steam it's called bugaboo pocket by uh i think you pronounce it elytra games um this is basically a narrative tamagotchi like um you have it's a virtual pet game so you are (laughs) this scientist that (laughs) that is living in this cabin 
doing research on bugs, particularly in an envir- a forest environment that previously had this massive forest fire that went through it. And so mm. you're actually studying the bugs and the ecosystem as the forest is starting to recover post forest fire. And so um, really interesting blend of like eco-conscious themes, I feel like, especially coming out from like you know, in 2020, when we had like the major forest fires, like in Australia and sort of all around the world, um, I think this game kind of brought me back to that time and kind of like what happens to the environment afterwards. But then you have these silly moments where you're like basically raising beetles and pill bugs and playing games with them to bond with them and Mm -hmm. they evolve and get bigger. And so there's a nice amount of like whimsy and charm as well uh so yeah i i enjoyed the demo i wasn't sure if i would because i'm like the bugs are really realistic um and i'm not usually a fan but you get to like put them in hats and they're it's pixel art so it's still very cute even in their realism it is very cute did i tell you i don't think i mentioned this and i haven't seen you since we got back but lee found these like tamagotchi converse sneakers while you're in japan that she bought and um (gasps) they're incredible so the uh, tamagotchi like you could not have chosen like a more apropos <laughs> descriptor tell lee so to play good. this it's super cute i will say in the demo um so this isn't like major major spoilers but in the demo like you go through a bug's entire life cycle because bugs also don't live for very long um just the nature of insects uh, and so like your bugs will pass away eventually and you actually can choose to like bury them and i think mm. it's supposed to be beneficial for the soil in some way or they have like a little bug graveyard but you can also choose to like sort of memorialize them and pin them um so there's there's a lot of like bug collecting kind of elements there that i think i don't think i've ever really seen in a game before which is kind of cool too so yeah Yes, very fun. You've you had quite the week in terms of like very different types of games that you played and got into. Yeah, I tried to do because I felt like also I was like, I can't just say I'm playing just in stars and time again, which I really am. I'm loving that game. But I was like, I should probably diversify a little bit, you know, spice things up. Um, and fortunately, the Hermit and Pig beta was happening. So it kind of I, I, I talked with the devs. I saw their stuff on Twitter and I was just like, if you need anything, just hit me up. And they're like, we're actually having a beta. So, um, yeah, I was like, I want to give you feedback. <laughs> Let me play this game. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, looks amazing. Cool. So that's it for the pastry case. As always, we welcome questions and comments on anything we've talked about in this section. Uh, you can email at Jenny at Um, But now, continuing to play with purpose, uh, we're going to dive into the monthly brew. So again, if you are, this is your first week listening, first time joining, we are playing the game Jusant um, by Don't Nod. And this is a climbing, meditative climbing game uh, with a lot of background lore and story and so we're going to be talking about chapters three and four uh so just heads up anything up through chapter four we will be spoiling this is the spoiler warning if you want to take a pause go play and then come back this is the notice so last time we talked Mm -hmm. i expressed how lost (laughs) i got 
in, yes. in what I now know was chapter two, because about 10 minutes into playing, 20 minutes into playing, when I hopped back in after we last recorded, it said, you know, welcome to chapter three. <laughs> so um, I I was able to, I can, I can promise you everyone, I finished the game. So I did officially make it all the way through chapters three and four for today's conversation. <laughs> I still got lost. A lot. Uh, but no, I, I thought this was a, a really, um, the, these two chapters in particular, I had a lot of fun with. And the main reason for that is I turned on the accessible climbing mode. So yeah. um, for those of you who are playing on like a handheld device, um, you know that like to climb, you're like using the right trigger, left trigger, right trigger, left trigger to like move your right and left hands as you're mm-hmm. climbing this mountain uh in the accessible mode it's more like you click you tap a button when you're ready to like grab on and you tap a different button when you're ready to let go and otherwise you're just using your your um joystick tool whatever you're using to migrate and move around uh the 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 level and for me it really let me enjoy the game a lot more so if you're Mm. on the fence about like whether or not you um are considering doing that I would say go for it. It it made me really like the game quite a bit more. I, it did. It took away some of the repetitiveness that I know we had kind of hinted at last week. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that I, in general, um, before we dig into like the content of chapters three and four, I really like that experience. I'd recommend it. Yeah, I'm so happy you tried it. Um, Because what's interesting is I found I'm one of the people who loved like kind of that original format of it. Like the repetition for me was was the thing that resonated. Um, Mm. But I'm so happy a that they added the accessibility options because that's just something every game should have. Um, But that also it was done well enough that you were able to enjoy the game because sometimes you know with accessibility you hope that they implement Mm -hmm. it in a way that does make it still feel like you can uh appreciate the game for what Mm -hmm. it is Mm -hmm. uh so that's really really good to hear well let me add to that too because like we talked about last time how i got very very lost i played for like several hours longer than i was supposed to in chapter two um and i still got lost in chapters three (laughs) and four and five and six i still got lost but because I had this mode turned on, mm. going back and finding my way didn't feel so much like a chore and it didn't cost me so much time. Mm-hmm. So I, another like reason that if you're thinking about it to maybe try it out is if you, like me, had a really hard time figuring out where you were supposed to go at any given time, um, it, it helped with that as well. Yeah. I'm curious with this game, because... Um, like the aim of the game is essentially to climb up and, mm-hmm. but there is a lot to explore, like, I guess, horizontally mm-hmm. um, in terms of in any given space, there are so many notes and shells and like whatever the, the spinny things that you get to turn. <laughs> um, there's so many of those like hidden. Did you find it mm-hmm. encouraged you to explore more or did you kind of explore about the same amount? Do you think? I think I explored less technically because I was still losing time to getting lost. Eventually once actually last week, Jenny mentioned that um, if you, if you are going up, you're going the right way (laughs) for like the mainline story (laughs) Um, with that advice in mind, there were 
I can think of like four or five points where I made the conscious decision where I was like, okay, if I look left, I can see a narrow ledge here. Like I can follow that. And it's probably going to take me to a note or a, mm-hmm. a fresco or a spinny thing. And honestly, I've spent so long just trying to figure out how to get up in the last 20 minutes that I'm going to just go up. So like, yes, for me, having the accessibility mode turned on really just made it so that I could enjoy the mainline story game. Mm. I still found a lot of the notes. I think the notes, they put a lot closer to the mainline adventure that you're on. But there were some moments where I was like, I can almost guarantee you that that doorway is going towards a spinny thing or that doorway is going to another conch shell or another Mm -hmm. uh, cairn to stack your rocks. Um, and I made some conscious decisions where I was like, I'm not going to pursue that. So yeah. I, but I also think like if I had gotten lost and like continued to spend time in some of those minutia points, I don't know that I would have been able to enjoy the game the way that I, I have. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. There's a bit of a balance there. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's really cool to hear. And again, it is, it's like, there's no point in finding the notes if you're not having a good time to appreciate right. them. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so that's really cool. So in chapter three, uh, yes. which is titled Solstice, we get an, a new mechanic introduced pretty much from the jump. As soon as the chapter three, like little card comes up, you walk, uh, I think, forward on this ledge and there's a plant and you immediately learn that the sun is just blazing hot uh, on this side of the tower, essentially. And mm-hmm. now, instead of having all the time in the world, um, because of the exposure to heat, your stamina will deplete more quickly in sunny spots. And plants that you are able to grow will start to wither and fall away. So now time mm-hmm. becomes a bit more of the essence. Um, what did you think about this additional mechanic? Um. It was this mechanic that uh, specifically the way plants disappear as you like, so you hit a button and like a little blue bubble ar- like irradiates from your person mm-hmm. and that causes plants to grow. And so if you're in the, the high sun areas, you hit the button, plants grow and they immediately start to wither. And so you lose your handholds really quickly. Yeah. Um, I, that was the reason that I turned the full, um, accessibility mode on mm-hmm. um the the plants start disappearing on me i'm doing the like right left trigger thing and it's like ugh, i see exactly the path that i'm supposed to go down but because i can't like move my fingers fast enough i can't make it mm-hmm. across the the jaunt and so i was like you know what? i'm just gonna try this out and i did and it was like okay it was still challenging it did not take away the challenge of like getting across in time before the the plants withered away um but it made it like an it was at my challenge level as opposed to my frustration level (laughs) yes oh that's a good way to put it i love that yeah so how about you how was that experience for you like dealing with the stamina losing the losing the plants uh what was that was that like for you uh I I really loved it personally. I think mm-hmm. um, by that point in time for me, I was looking for ways to make the climbing a little bit more um, engaging because by the first two chapters, you, you kind of have been doing the same thing over and over mm-hmm. again, um, yeah. which feels great. But I was like, okay, if we have, you know, however many hours of just this, I don't know if I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> totally. um, but the the addition of this element 
having the challenge of trying to get through a specific spot a little bit more quickly, mm-hmm. a little bit more uh, efficiently made me feel re-engaged again. So it was like the perfect, it was just one switch. And that's what I love too. They didn't try to throw like, oh, here's like five or six different things we have right. to pay attention to right now. Um, the main thing was like, oh, you now have to do this a bit faster because uh, we already had like the little moving pill bug rock things right. a little bit yeah. earlier uh, in the game. I think we start seeing them come in more into realization here uh, in mm-hmm. combination with the the heat and everything. But I think just that added element of focus was really, really fun and engaging for me uh, on the climbing stints in particular. Um, yeah, but Can that really also- is... The- was this also when they started making it? I feel like you had to start swinging a lot more in this part of the game. Yes. And so it was like swing to the plant bulb, light it up blue so that it will grow, swing back, and then swing toward the plant again and mm-hmm. grabbing it. And I thought the timing elements of that were really fun because yes. it's like you have to hit it on kind of your swing back so that you aren't gone from those plants for too long before they wither. I don't know. I thought that was a really fun game. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think there was one section in chapter two, which is the first major swinging section with the windmill. I don't know if mm-hmm. you had a hard time with that one. Yeah, That was maybe the single most frustrating section in the entire game for me because I could not figure out the swing and like figure any of the momentum out. And then I kind of chanced upon the solution. And I was like, I'm never going back. Um, I'm just, <laughs> we're we're going to only go forward from here. Mm-hmm. Um But this is where it started sinking in for me. And I think chapter three in particular is when I really started getting a hang of using like the little pittens, the like markers that you can put in and using those to your advantage and not just Mm -hmm. like kind of getting to the top as quickly as you can, but using those so that you can swing around, maybe explore a little bit more on some of the alcoves and then like um, finding some of the more interesting ways to climb up, which was cool. Like in a lot of the cases, I felt excited that there were probably multiple ways that a player could do things versus mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. oh there's only one way to solve this like you could use momentum you could just try straight climbing like there were a lot of solutions to these puzzles i think or like yeah. more than just one and that as a player for me gets me excited and happy to try games i totally agree with that i think that it was like they they introduce enough you had enough like mechanics as an individual character that you could leverage that it was clear like, Oh, some of these puzzles like are solvable and there are many ways that you can do it, which I got to imagine like as a developer has to be kind of rewarding, like to be Mm -hmm. able to create a puzzle like that, where it's like there are multiple ways these pieces fit together to get to that end picture. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought it was really satisfying. I agree. Swinging to the windmill was a challenge (laughs) i actually think the reason it was a challenge for me was because of the camera angles like i couldn't get my camera to line up with the angle i was swinging and it was like i know logically that there i know what the angle is that i need to swing in to get on this windmill Mm -hmm. but because of the camera angle i couldn't like get i couldn't get both the camera angle and the swing angle aligned yeah. Correctly. Yep. So I don't know if you had any issues with camera angles as you were going through. Yeah, I think there were a couple points in the game. For the most part, I felt like the camera was pretty agreeable. Um, mm-hmm. And I think yeah. I wasn't fighting it too much. But yeah, the windmill, you're right, definitely was a point in which I felt like I was fighting the camera as I was also trying to like 
get the angle and momentum to swing. And it just felt like I was fighting my controller a little bit at that point in time. Um, So yeah, that's a good shout. That's a good point. I wonder, like, it seemed like there were a few specific points where the camera would really lock in. And it was like we it was the it was the game telling you this is where you have to go from here. Mm-hmm. And I would say like eight out of ten times I liked it. Uh, I thought it was helpful. Yeah. And then two out of ten times I was like, this is uh, this is killing me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's that's pretty much my experience, too, where for the most part it was fine. Um but yeah, there were a couple of points where I'm like, I feel like I'm really wrestling here. I'm really, <laughs> really like trying to climb and the camera is stopping me from really maximizing my like climbing potential yeah. at this point. Um, yeah. I guess so anything else the, on the mechanics that you wanted no, to dive yeah, into? I, I think the mechanics, I think we feel relatively well explored here. Yeah. I, I actually didn't find the stamina meter dissipation, like that increase of stamina. No. Like that didn't really feel like it really confounded, but it did add to my urgency. So yeah. it was like, that's what you want, I think, as to make your players feel the urgency without like making them feel miserable. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and what's kind of really nice balanced. is there, there were a couple of moments, especially in this early ch- chapter three, when I was still sort of getting a sense of how far, you know, like what does this, what does a quarter of stamina represent? Like how far does that actually mm-hmm. get me? And mm-hmm. in playing, I realized a, as long as you're setting up your markers smartly, you're not going to ever fall very far. Um, right. You're you're pretty safe that way. And also, even if your stamina is basically at zero, uh, you can actually ostensibly rest for a little bit and crawl and rest for a little bit and crawl. And it takes much, much longer, but you can still get to the top. (laughs) So I think it's kind of neat because I think there's this element of like non-failure if you really want to play it like where your character is pushed to that limit. You really, you still can't totally fail. You can still finish the game. Now, is it the mm-hmm. most fun to play if your character is at that <laughs> level of stamina, like just inches away from, you know, mm-hmm. uh, needing to rest every three handholds? No, it's not yeah. fun at all, but it's possible. So that's kind of, I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And you know, and I, I think more common throughout the whole game, more common than running out of stamina for me was running out of rope space. Like I didn't set my pitons well or something. Mm -hmm. And so I ran out of rope that happened to me probably like five or six times. And I think I only ran out of stamina like a couple times. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if that ever happened to you. I ran out of stamina way more than I ran out of rope because I think I constantly, yeah. Cause I constantly was like, Oh, I bet you I have enough to just get to the top. And then I, Yeah. More often than not, I did not have enough to get to that. But then I would just place the marker and I would chill and rest. And then I'd kind of just like inch my way up. (laughs) I think this might be like a dredge scenario where like I was going back to harbor like every hour. I'd be like, oh, I went and caught one fish and I'm back to harbor again so it's safe. (laughs) That's kind of how I climbed too. It was like, well, I've moved three handholds. Time to rest. Like, (laughs) my gosh, I I don't know how indicative of this is is like personality types too, but yeah, I was like, <laughs> I I did not rest unless I I either had a marker explicitly where because they especially in chapter three they start introducing like okay here's actually a rest point because this puzzle is too long for you to go all the way I would only rest at those um, mm-hmm. otherwise I would try and just like beef my way up there <laughs> yes. 
So what was your experience with like the clues and like the story elements that we were encountering throughout chapter three? Chapter three. Okay. I think I said this last week. Chapter three is where it gets quite interesting for me. I felt more interesting here because especially with the chapter name Solstice, we start going into the story of like what is actually happening Mm -hmm. to the people here. We know the water's gone, um, but we also learn that the sun has stopped setting ostensibly. Like it's just kind of rotating in the sky. Um, thinking, thinking like Alaska, you know, when you have the the months of summer, mm-hmm. something has stopped where the sun is not rotating. And you imagine something's been impacting the moon as well, because the moon is what draws tides away. Um, but that's less explicitly said. Um, Cause there's, there's notes, like there's a note on a storefront that's like closed will open when the sun starts moving again, you know? So we start seeing this like sort of more explicit explanation. Um, We start to be able to piece together. Okay. That's why they say how many sleeps versus day or night, because there's no day or night because they always measure in sleeps. (laughs) You're blowing my my mind right now. Like I thought I understood what was going on. And now I'm realizing I did not understand what was going on. So Wait, so I guess what were so what did you start to piece together in this part of the game, at least? Yeah. So chapter three was interesting because the the tone of the notes begins to shift. It's a lot less like, oh, I'm a person looking for adventure and a lot more like, hey, our community like has to change because things can't stay the way they are. And I don't think in chapter three. Like you mentioned this, the store closed, like, well, started when the, I found that note and I remember just thinking like, oh, this is like just a sassy bakery owner or something who's like, <laughs> I don't know, like I'm never opening again. And so like, I, or something like that. I don't know. I just, I did not get, I did not interpret it that way. And yeah. now you're just like making me really understand, um, more of the astrological implications of what was happening, which I I think I missed that, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, that's super interesting. Yeah. I think I'm trying to think of any other notes explicitly um, that talk about it. You you kind of hear it in some, some of, um, I'm blanking on her name, the expedition, the person who's on the expedition, but they talk, she talks a little bit about. Um, Not Bianca. No, maybe uh, it's Bianca, Bianca okay. Bertha. Bianca, I think maybe Bianca. Bianca, okay. It sounds very familiar. I'm so bad. It was at definitely Bianca, names. but she was usually writing to another person. I couldn't remember which one. Right, was the but I think that was the she was writing about the expedition, and I think right. she also touches on this too. Um, but yeah, there's also I think what was really interesting to me, in addition to sort of that sense of urgency and like more of an overt recognition of like the plight that they're in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i think what was really interesting was how people started to problem solve for that um earlier like you said we saw a lot of people being like let's go and try to find the water let's just like move a little bit and see if we can go to the plains someone said there's an oasis with water over yonder um people now a lot of these folks are sticking around still at least Mm -hmm. um arguing with family members on whether or not they should stay or go um and starting to talk about the inequity that is happening as a result of people who are staying and like trying to salvage and maintain the water that they have like one of the really interesting notes to me was you find it 
on a place that I think used to be kind of a farm. And they talk about how like we small farms have to stick together and like share our water because like all the water is going to the big farms um, and they're prioritizing the big farms. And I was just like, this is getting that's real, (laughs) real. Like this is getting quite intense. Um, We also hear and start seeing a bit of like misinformation, which I thought was very interesting. Did you find the salt notes? Like the ones that were like, there were some flyers that are like, uh, salt your food today, like save your water for tomorrow. And it's like, they're encouraging people to salt their food to try and like combat water not being available. But it's like, wait, that is literally the opposite thing you should do. I mean, yeah, you should salt your food, but also like it's encouraging more salt, which then would probably encourage more water consumption because you're like trying to drink more water for the sodium um so it's like all of this information that's like dubious maybe or maybe more short-sighted at the very least um yeah super interesting going through the notes in this section you know what stood out to me from this section of the notes is you start learning a lot more about the creatures um yeah and uh i think for me that's what stood out a lot more was like oh there's some sort of symbiotic relationship Mm-hmm. Um, between the people who live here and the creatures. And I didn't really know what they were, like which ones I was specifically learning about all the time. But I, it, it it was one of those things where it was like, okay, so it, in chapter, is it chapter two that the little blue guy gets on your shoulder? And... Yes. Yeah. Or okay. Well, I think the, the, that little ballast is with you since like chapter one, but you only really notice them as a character in chapter two. Okay, this makes sense. So yeah. it's like, okay, so I know that little guys exist and you constantly are seeing little critters running around in, in the caves and wherever you happen to be. Um, but I think it was chapter three that I started seeing like, oh no, like the animals are some sort of critical part of this ecosystem and the mm-hmm. people you like lived with them and had like a a, a more sim- like symbiotic relationship between the two of them. And it made me start looking at the little guy on my shoulder and be like, what's going on with him? Like, what yeah. is he part of some other, like more important species? And then I started thinking about like, well, for us to make these plants bloom, we have to have the little blue guy making a thing. So it's like, did mm-hmm. the people always need that? Or do they only that because of the disaster that happened? Then you have the little rock guys, the little uh, pill bug guys that are crawling around. It's like, yeah. wait, so when people lived here before, did they have to rely on the pill bugs to like get from point A to point B? And mm-hmm. so just like chapter three, they start talking a bit about the animals. And then the end of chapter three, you kind of free somehow like one of the animals is like stuck, right? Like in a cave yeah. or something like that. Yeah, like a giant rock bug is basically yeah. stuck in a cave <laughs> and it's like it almost it reminded me of like blowing your nose and like a big thing coming out like that's kind of the vibe of that yeah. last scene in my opinion but it was like oh like maybe because we freed this it's going to help like restore some element of the ecosystem here and so it, for me chapter three was like pay closer attention to the animals. That's kind of the big thing that I started taking away from the notes. Yeah, um, I love that you pointed that out because I think more and more, um, and I think in chapter three and as we ease into chapter four too, we start seeing notes about the ballasts. Do you, mm-hmm. Did you catch those notes? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, and it's like you start seeing notes about the ballasts and then if you are someone who is like going through finding like the little frescoes that glow and sort of the little towers that spin um you start to see 
more imagery that looks like either giant like turtle fish or whales that mm-hmm. are kind mm-hmm. of like just giant and working somehow like you said kind of like these other smaller critters critters in sort of the symbiotic relationship with the people of the tower um but those critters are not around like there are no giant things like as, that you can see at this point <laughs> yeah and it was it 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 made me feel um almost more so than the kind of decrepit falling apart village it was the absence of some of these creatures that made me feel like oh man like this world is just not as rich as it Mm -hmm. once was like Mm -hmm. it used to have a much more uh robust um lifestyle or something i don't know what the word is here but like yeah it it made me recognize the absence more so than anything else i think Mm -hmm. yeah the ecosystem like has definitely taken a hit right in some way um yeah and i think yeah oh i was gonna say i think one of the things also that i really is sort of a side note but there was one note where um a person was like i think they're called pebbles like the little brown sort of right i don't know rodent like i guess kind of creatures (laughs) um there was a note that really stuck with me very tangential but it was really interesting because it was not related to the water or anything um, being gone or the struggles kind of in the immediate mindset of society. It was someone who wrote and they said, "Um, raising pebbles was fun until I started doing it for a living. And I think I've lost my way. And I thought that was a really interesting note in particular because it was one of the notes among a few others that showed how life continued aside and like in line with this crisis happening. Like, Mm -hmm. There is no water. The sun is not setting. But this person is still just kind of like, yeah, but I don't know who I am and like what I'm doing with my life right now. And maybe that thought is expedited by the fact that the world is kind of ending. But like it was such a more human immediate concern and like personal concern in light of these like world ending concerns. Um, That was a note in chapter three that I just really stuck with me as I played. We got to hang on that for a minute that you've uh, you've introduced a really heavy and important idea here. I mean, like we're recording this in the midst of a a genocide that's happening or several genocides around the world right now. And like it is the idea of like, what does it mean to have any sort of rhythm to your life when Mm -hmm. life isn't even able to flourish in some parts of our world is like that is a heavy existential topic like on a microcosm, something that happened to me this last weekend. Um, there's this place in Portland, it's called Peacock Lane. And it's this mm-hmm. like kind of wealthy street in, in Southeast Portland where they shut the whole road down during Christmas time. And like everyone who lives on the street, every single house just goes all out decorating for Christmas and the holiday season. And mm-hmm. we're talking lights, we're talking props, we're talking hot cocoa stands. And so they shut the street down and pedestrians can walk up and down the street and um, look at the lights. And it's like a really fun thing to do. I was, um, I went this weekend with a a friend of ours and we went through and I had this like really stark thought where I was like, it is so busy here. If someone started shooting, if there was like a, a, Mm -hmm. a shooter in this crowd right now, I don't know what I would do. I don't know how I would get out. And I was talking to a friend at a holiday party last night and she was like, oh, we went to Peacock Lane. It was so busy. And the thing that kept coming to mind was like, man, if there was a shooter here, I don't know how to get out. And I was like, I had that exact same thought. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, 
especially coming out, coming back from Japan, where like that is not something you really need to worry about on a regular basis. Like, I don't know. It's just one of those things like with you kind of bring up this topic of like, what does it mean to have like a regular everyday life and rhythm while these extreme things are happening in your culture? or around you yeah and wow you just like really like stuck a point home here for me that was really good yeah I mean it is it that's something that I've also been grappling I think there was one time I think I might have mentioned it to you I think it was you it maybe not I'm not sure but I was like sometimes when I'm driving I don't like driving right next to someone because part of me is like what if I do something that makes them angry and they just like rage either run me off the road or it turns into like some drive-by shooting scenario. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it was one of those things, If whether it was you or who else, whoever I was talking with was like, oh my God, <laughs> what? And I was like, yeah, that is kind of a trauma response probably. But it is interesting living in the United States because both of us are recording and we live in the United States. Like having these kind of thoughts become much more part of the norm. Like I don't, I did not grow up thinking these things, but now anytime I go to the movie theaters, to a large group setting, mm-hmm. like those mm-hmm. are the things on my mind, whether overtly or in the back of them. Um, and the fact that like not only did both of us have this thought while we we're looking at Christmas lights, but that we both thought to talk about it at a Christmas party, like that's yeah. wild. And like, we're yeah. both like, oh yeah, me too. Huh, interesting. Like, yeah. Well, but it's it's interesting because it's also like you have these dissonant moments, but then you're also still trying to like live your life, right? And so it's Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it's how how do we? I think the thing that I try to I've I've been thinking more and more about is how do I make sure not to desensitize or lose the importance Mm -hmm. of these catastrophic things that are happening. like again, I think especially with with what's happening with Palis- the Palestinians and like knowing that the news cycle we've hit essentially that like two to four week news cycle where things are phased out. How do I keep yeah. things present in my mind so I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not like sort of losing that sense of urgency, but also how am I making sure that I'm essentially still living my life? in the midst of keeping all that in mind, like what, where is the balance in that? And that's a question I'm still struggling with and answering Mm -hmm. as we record this. Um, But yeah, it's hard. And I think when we see the notes in Chassant, like you see some, like you get a taste of that, like people who are still finding love. I think one Mm -hmm. of my favorite notes is you see people who are like, I don't know if we would have met had this not happened and I'm really sad it happened, but like I found a person that I love or the person who's going through their identity crisis or someone who was like, I'm stealing food from the fridge basically or the kitchen, leaving a note in case you find this, but no one's here, but I'll I'll leave a note anyways. Like these little things just like, I think these are the notes that got me and made me feel so compelled. Yep. It yeah. kind of like revealed the like humanity of this experience mm-hmm. um, and what it, what that means when you're dealing with crises. I, that was, yeah. yeah, I totally agree. I, I was, yeah. It really stood out. Yeah. Um, so it is interesting. So ch- we go to chapter four next and chapter four is you, you're, you're leaving the sun and you're going into the mountain and climbing inside of the mountain. Yes. And 
How gorgeous was this chapter? Like this is the most beautiful chapter in the whole game. <laughs> my goodness. I like the, you're there's bioluminescent like plants mm-hmm. and mushrooms and you find like obviously again like human dwellings or person dwellings um throughout and you get this new uh really fun mechanic where uh if you use your little blue light buddy uh, to activate fireflies, you can jump super high and they'll like kind of yeah. carry you with them. And again, like that was another thing that made me have that thought where it's like, did you always have to have the fireflies to jump? Was that the type of relationship they just built into the fabric of society? So it really was cool. So, they yeah. do. So, okay. On my second playthrough of this, cause I went through and I'm like, I was trying to find every single note just to get the achievement for it. Um, <laughs> so there's a note that actually talks about they I forget what they call them in game like they have a in game name for the fireflies but they have a note about them in chapter 1 that you can find that basically oh. foreshadows what you discover in chapter four that you can use these to like jump so it's like this is a known so you're like spot on like these are already this is already an ecosystem where people have learned to work in relation to nature and like work mm-hmm. with them to create this like way of life of climbing and living vertically basically yeah and it was interesting it's like it's not it's not um i'm thinking about like how cultures in in, in our world have uh worked alongside animals over the you know millennia mm-hmm. um it's not the type of relationship where it's like oh i have an ox because an ox is going to help me pull a plow and i feed and take care of the ox and i put it in my mm-hmm. barn and i hook it up to a thing it's like as far as i can tell it's more like uh kind of like how native american communities viewed and participated in agriculture which is like over you know years and years setting up forest ecosystems that are self-sustaining and uh working alongside nature as opposed to like plowing like not there was no field work but like mm-hmm. um that type of engagement with the world around you was kind of mm-hmm. what i how i was seeing this where it's like no the fireflies just happened to like be nested in this area and so they built their community in a way that like leveraged that as yeah. opposed to like oh, here's a hive that is human constructed and maintained to make sure those fireflies are in this specific spot. Like that's not the the feeling that I had when I was playing through. So I, okay, I love that you brought this up, this, especially this idea of like sort of sustainability in this society, because one thing I think is really interesting in this game is now that we're in this chapter four, I feel like in playing, I've gotten a stronger sense of like this tower, which it more emulates like a coral reef barnacle more than anything else, is its own ecosystem. And you have the people who are closer to the ground. They have their own sort of like they talk in very nautical sort of terms. Everything they yeah. talk, like they have their own sort of like you can tell their vocabulary is a little different. Mm-hmm. When you get to the area that has like the sun and you have more of the agricultural sort of farm situation in chapter three, they have their own concerns, their own traditions. They start talking about like the the lower dwellers. Um, and then with the folks in the caves, they also delineate between like the people who are like in the caves and sort of the inner dwellers versus like, you know, the people who are out in the open air. Like, I think there's even a note yeah. that's like, we're not made for open air, you know, we're that's here right. to yeah. cultivate the water. Um, 
And so what's really interesting is you have this tower that has like animal ecosystems, but then like the human ecosystem seems mm-hmm. to be really diverse and nuanced in the way that they structure. And it got me thinking about vertical living and like how um, – and that's actually what is going to be in the pour over this week in the newsletter. So if you're listening to this, you can check out the newsletter for this week, like vertical cities and how they can – we can build vertically for sustainability. And one of the things I thought was super fascinating was this idea of like, um, we typically think of vertical living as like pancake apartments where it's like Mm -hmm. everyone has their own individual level and that is not conducive to community versus um, this proposal. I think it was from a Korean engineering firm where they had like towers in a tower and it's this idea of like having multiple communities on one layer and then another set of communities on another and that helps like there be a sense of community i'll link the article in the newsletter and in the show notes but um fascinating it was super interesting to read and this game is what got me thinking about like vertical living and how perhaps this community of people in the barnacle tower um were already kind of like doing they they were already doing this i guess and we're we're just trying to explore ways cuz our planet is also going through its own environmental crises and i know people are trying to explore other ways of structuring our communities too so yeah, yeah. i just thought that was interesting yeah that that's so interesting it's funny i this is not nearly to the same level but I, I want to say it was Hong Kong. It was mm-hmm. uh, it was either Hong Kong or Beijing. I'm, I apologize for not knowing the difference in this scenario, but it was an architect that was uh, describing this particular area of the city that has tons of like skywalks, sky bridges that like connect mm-hmm. buildings. And he was saying that like, if you're trying to get to this other destination, number one, that's rare because so much of your life is within the kind of like tower that you happen to be living in or Mm -hmm. your neighboring tower. And there are bridges at different levels. But he was like, if you're trying to get to street level to get across town, you actually can't get to the street level in this tower. You have to go across the sky bridge down this other elevator thing to this other sky bridge that takes you over here. And it was just like a really interesting way because it was it it reminds me of this vertical living concept because it was like, yeah. well, if, if all of your needs are kind of taken care of within this like lo- superstructure experience. Yeah. I guess like there, there isn't a lot of cause to like pop down and just like, you know, yeah. scoot, scoot about. <laughs> yeah. Which comes with like, I think I, I see this in a dystopic way and I see this in like the solar punk positive Absolutely. way. You know, it's like yes. you can see we see examples of this on both ends of this uh, mm-hmm. the, the this imagined sort of future spectrum. Um, so it's like who who knows what, you know, what we'll end up seeing in the future as we as we continue. But I think this idea, especially in this game of this vertical community in this one tower. And I imagined like if this is just one tower barnacle in this giant ocean planet or what used to be maybe an ocean planet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there were other towers and other reefs, essentially barnacle reefs Ooh. with other communities, maybe similarly structured. Um, and that for me was a really compelling thought where it's like, perhaps this is just one sort of city or sort of city stack among perhaps many others. Cause as you begin the game, like your character's walking around and there's 
boats and like debris of stuff everywhere. So you can imagine, I don't know, I, I'd imagine there's more, right? Yeah, honestly, like this is I, I'm excited for us to talk about the end of the game to talk about yes. like the practicality of the docks that just seem to be everywhere. Yeah, because I don't understand <laughs> how high the water went in this tower and what the implications are for people yeah. at lower levels versus higher levels. There's yeah. just something just like, is this just an aesthetic choice or is this actually functional? And I just cannot envision what is happening here. So <laughs> something for us to dig into as we uh, yeah. get to the end of the, the end game. Yeah, well, and this is the area where it gets a bit more fantastical because I think chapter four, correct me if I'm wrong, I think chapter four is where you have like inside these caverns, like these jellyfish that are like floating Mm -hmm. in the air, but Mm -hmm. it's like they're they're like air jellyfish. I don't know. This is where it gets like a bit more surreal where I'm like, now I just feel like I'm in a dream kind of. (laughs) I don't know if this is how real this is. It's gorgeous. It's I, I like you're in this giant cavern with these jellyfish floating about, and like you yeah. don't really do anything with them. I don't know, but they're there and they look, it looks gorgeous. And it's one of those things that we haven't actually talked about this yet, but like at various plot points in the story, your skin glows. Like there are markings on yes. the main character's skin and it glows. So it's like we're not dealing with like, I don't think like typical humans like this seems to be like some other type of species or something yeah and so i think there is like it's it's interesting as the game is so grounded lol um but also there's almost like a an extreme sci-fi element to this that like really makes it otherworldly and i Mm -hmm. i agree with you this is the chapter that's like and then i would say again like the end game but like this is the chapter where your first like this is a this is otherworldly this is um something totally alien to like Mm -hmm. the the earth experience yeah um i think the last for me the last note sort of section that i thought was really interesting in chapter four was the white water collective i don't know if you saw these notes i missed this no oh man so i thought this was super cool and interesting because there were a series i think about three notes with the White Water Collective. And they had in some of the areas that were like, I think like canal locks or canal Mm -hmm. sort of systems, they had notes where it was like, say no to locks, the water belongs to the people. And so it it delves into what some of the farming notes alluded in chapter three, where it's like, there seems to be... Uh, some sort of group or people or company or something that is managing the water and not everyone agrees with how the water is being allocated and managed. And so you see more of almost this community collective um, protest mutual aid work action happening in the form of the white water collective where they actually have another flyer that's like we're fighting we're fighting water insecurity we have a repair workshop going on come and help us in the kitchens mm-hmm. um which i think is which i thought was really interesting especially considering sort of more of that unrest that we saw in chapter 3 um so it's almost like we're going forward in time as we are like progressing up in the levels of the game um <sighs> That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, I missed the subplot completely. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's rad. Yeah, I think there was a note where it was like this. It was it was an exchange between two friends, and one of them's like, "Don't mope. I'm sure the water supply is managed by competent people." And I read that and was like, "Oh, 
Oh, oh I, I do. I did find I, that note. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I think that that connected with sort of the flyers for the Whitewater Collective um, showed this sort of burgeoning unrest kind of finding a more community form versus just like mm-hmm. individuals being unhappy with sort of how things are being managed. So I thought that was also really, really cool um, and yeah. unexpected. Again, I did not – and I genuinely, when we were hopping into this game, I was like – chill climbing game awesome happy just to end the year with some climbing and then we're getting a lot more uh that i did not anticipate i definitely think this is like a a lesson for me is that note based story games Mm. have to be incredibly well architected for me to be able to fully dig into them and i think we talked about this last time like the outer wilds example versus this example Mm -hmm. like in outer wilds it is imperative that you are understanding what's happening in order for you to progress through the game yes and um i think this is like for me this one is is not the discoverability is just a little too challenging for me and so i think i just i'm missing a lot of these plot points that you're you're bringing up which is great like i love learning about it but it's kind of a bummer (laughs) for me to learn (laughs) i i i agree with you i think one of the weaknesses of this game is that they don't because when you hop into outer wilds they signal to you so strongly even if you have no idea what you're doing at the very start the structure of as you start the new run and they have explicitly that like red strings board come up and pop the notes up so you know as a player you're like okay if you didn't know now you do. The notes are mm-hmm. important. You have to pay attention to things. Um, this this game, Chassant doesn't do that. And so I think it is a weakness of the game that they don't make it more explicit in some way, mm. simply because I think it's some of the more compelling part of the games. Yeah. Um, and I'm sad for folks who maybe would be receptive to it, but don't even know how deep it goes. Um, yeah based on their play experience because you could just barrel through the climbing and not catch i'd say a good half of what's going on for those of you that are playing that don't have a jenny wendham to talk to and tell you about <laughs> uh all of the notes i'm so sorry because you're missing out <laughs> which is why we're doing this as a group this is why oh, geeks and grounds that's right. yes that's, that's yes. we're recording this i forgot okay yeah, yes. yeah, yeah so if you're listening then yeah you're getting you're getting it congratulations Oh, but, um, but yeah, I guess for me, I think that's about where chapter four kind of like Mm -hmm. ends, you know, I think you, you unlock another sort of seal in this thing with your little blue buddy friend, um, you're continuing up, but, uh, yeah, I think most compelling about these two chapters is what you learn about the, the situation that has befallen the people of this tower. Mm, Right. Yeah. And again, for me, it was like understanding the ecosystem with the animals really yes. started standing out oh, to me here. So I'm I think so glad you brought that up. Very much a like show instead of tell kind of thing. Like there are a couple mm. notes that talk about the critters, but mostly it's just like if you're paying attention to how you're navigating, you realize just how instrumental they are to the way of life of these people. So yeah, I thought that was really great. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I think that's it for this episode. Um, thank you for listening. If you would like to hang out with us and talk about the ending live, uh, please do tune in to our Discord. Sign in um, on December 23rd at 3 p.m. Pacific time. 
Um, we're going to be discussing the ending of the game together as well as just the game as a whole, everyone's experiences, coming together, sharing the knowledge, like learning from each other, uh, just how we've all interpreted this game and some of the lore that we've gotten. And of course, if you aren't able to make it, that's okay. Next week's podcast, again, is the last one for the year, and we will be finishing and doing the full last two chapter spoiler cast of Jason. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I was sick during our last hang, so I'm pumped to get to spend time with you all yeah. this month. Uh I I am eager to hear about your experiences. Uh, let us know about your your charcuterie game of the year. Uh, if yes. you have some new metaphors you'd like to stretch as you uh, <laughs> engage in this activity, uh, you know we love a stretch metaphor here, so definitely mm-hmm. do. Um, may whatever is on your game of the year charcuterie pair beautifully with the bold flavor of the grounds and beans you are drinking. <laughs> We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.